Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. So we are in Parshat Lech Lecha. We are, um, as we've said, in the first third of every Parsha again, because we are beginning uh, again a cycle of reading Torah, and we've done it now three times together, um, I'm happy to say. Um, and so we are starting over, uh, truly, this year, uh, starting with the beginning of each Parsha. Um, I doubt we'll get through a third of each Parsha, um, which is a good thing, because we tend to go deep. So we're picking up, though, always then, after two-thirds of the portion before has happened that we did not read. Right? So we read Noah last week, um, but we, you know, we read the beginning of the flood narrative, but we did not read the two-thirds of the Parsha that happened after that. Um, the uh, descendants of Noah and taking the Torah takes us through generations until we reach the generation of Avram. So we are now uh, at the narrative of Avram. We get nothing before this about uh, Avram. We get nothing about his life. We get nothing about whether or not he's ever spoken with God before. We, we have absolutely no information about his life until this moment. This seems to be the moment he's called into the life that we're concerned with, right? The life that's going to lead him to become uh, the patriarch of the Jewish people. So I want us to look first um, at, we're going to start at chapter 12, verse 1, which is the beginning of Parshat Lech Lecha. And somebody, somebody begin, please, with the English. The Lord said to Avram, go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those, him that curses you. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. Okay. All right. So God says to, who are we dealing with here? We're dealing with Avram. Right? What is missing, of course, from this? The hay. The hay. At some point, after a covenant, 25 years from now, a hay will be added to Avram's name and Sarai. Sarai. So Sarai changes from Sarai. The, the Yud becomes a hay, and she becomes Sarah. Right? So for the rabbis... This hey is, of course, God. Chesed is a chet. Um, this hey is God. God's name, right? That as they enter this special relationship, as they enter this covenant with the Holy One, that is now added to their names. Their identity changes. Some part of their core understanding of who they are in the world changes, and he becomes Avraham. And she becomes Sarah, not Sarai. Yes? What does Sarai mean? Anybody know? Oh, oh, princess. <laughs> <laughs> right, we, we tried it down. The Jewish matriarch. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. The Jewish matriarch, right? The founder of the Jewish people on the female side. And the masculine princess. would be Sar then, right? Hmm? Sar. The masculine would be Sar. Sar. Prince. So is there a significance in the English spell Sarah with an H or without an H? Or something like that? Sar, Yeah, it would, you know, Sarai is S-A-R-A-I. The H doesn't really matter in English. Right. It matters, of course, in Hebrew. How did Jackie. they pay? What is the relevance of God? Where did that happen? What's the connection with pay and love? The letter? Oh, right. Yudhei Vavhei, uh, being the name of God. Um, and, you know, in later times, the, the whole idea of God is abbreviated thusly in uh, rabbinic practice. What does it stand for? Light. Hi. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. That's this. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hey, with a chip chick. Is God. Is God. What does it stand for? Hashem. Hashem. The name. And what is the name? Yudhei Bhavai. Yudhei Right, so it's all. Abbreviations of abbreviations. It's all abbreviations of abbreviations of abbreviations. All right. Good. The artist from the artist known as Hay. Yes. Very good, Laura. A rabbi friend of mine um, came for Purim one year. Rabbi Tobus Spitzer came uh, one year at, in rabbinical school to Purim um, as uh, Vashti, formerly known as Queen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's look. Let's look at this this business. He's seventy five years old, and out of nowhere. We get this this speech that like God speaks to Avram. There's no preliminaries. There's no anything before this. It's not. And he laid himself down and waited for a vision. Right. It's not that he went and made an offering and asked for the <coughs> omen. He asked for an omen. The, boom. We we get we, we get a discussion that he's around and who his family is at the end of eleven. But right here at 12, nothing. Vayomer Adonai el Avram. God says to Avram, Lech lecha. All right, so the rabbis immediately have an issue. What is their issue? Huh? It means take yourself, doesn't it? <laughs> so it's enough to say lech. Lech is the imperative. Go. Walk. Set out. Journey. Right? But literally, walk. Lech. So, what is this? So, Lech is about walking, right? Halicha, walking. La Lech, to walk. This is not from that root. This is lecha. What is usually lecha translated as? Come. No. Bo is come. Lecha mm. yourself. Uh, you. Lecha is to you. To you. Within yourself. To you. Le is to in Hebrew. Lecha is I give something lecha to you. That's literally what it means. So. The rabbis have to ask, of course, what does lech, go, to you, mean? 
what, what is God saying exactly? Because God would never make a grammatical error, God forbid. And God would never add words that aren't necessary. We know this. This is a deep Jewish spiritual understanding of Torah that never is a word extra. God looks through the Torah to create the world. This is the blueprint of the universe. There can't be an extra word. It has to mean something. So what does it mean? God says, lech lecha, go Avram to you. Mickey? in search of yourself. To be in search of yourself. What does that mean? I'm right here. Well, you can be anywhere you want, but to be within yourself in search of. So something about going, it's not a physical leching. It's not a physical going. It's a somehow within. Somehow turning one's attention, intention, direction Inward. Okay? So journey, not out, but in. Okay? Carol? That's interesting because that's also how you are one with God. So one travels towards God by going within. within. Lovely. Lovely. How do they singular... Lachaz singular, yes. How do they then reconcile that with the fact that right after that, he goes not inside himself, he goes to Canaan. So how do we reconcile the fact that clearly he follows the direction, not go with, necessarily go within yourself and have this wonderful journeying towards spiritual awareness. He goes on a physical journey. Bert wants to know, how do we put those together then? Pam? A lot of times when you feel most yourself is when you are out of your parents' house, you're out of your familiar territory, and you can really see what you're made of, the possibilities there. You know, that's when he really became, came into himself, was when he was away from his familiar uh, circumstances. So the greatest of our commentators pull them together. You cannot separate, for them, for the teachers of Torah, you cannot separate the command to set forth, set out from the idea that that will bring you somehow closer to you. And then there's lots of discussion about which you, which we're going to see, we're going to go there at the end. But clearly there is a leave taking that has to happen. What exactly is that leave taking? Lech lecha me'artzecha. So what's Eretz? Your land. So leave me'artzecha, leave your land. Umi moldatecha. What's moldatecha? Leholid. Eretz moledet. The place of your birth. And from the house of your father. What, what's going on there? Could, could, couldn't God have just said, a little more condensed, go, leave your home? What, why, why all this? Well, if there's no extra words. Well, you, he's not, he could leave his father's home and still sort of be 
within the cultural influences of where he was born. Uh, you know, sort of moving down the block is still moving out of your parents' home, but moving to and moving to the next country, the next province, the ne you know, the next whatever is now you're you're going to detach yourself from everything that you've known. Okay, so Beit Avicha is last, right? Your father's house is last. What's first is your native country. All of those cultural associations, everything that is familiar, everything that defines who you are, particularly in the ancient world, but it hasn't really changed all that much today. You know, imagine what it means to leave America and go live abroad, right? It is a complete rupture from everything that you can take for granted. Language, food, behavior, what's normative, what's not normative, dress. Protection. Protection, connection, rights, if you will. I mean, I know we, we live in a time of citizenship and they did not, but there, there's still the sense of, I, exactly right. So. Some will go to Kathmandu to find themselves. Exactly right, right? That, this is how many people find themselves, is to leave their country and to go to India, to go, right, to, to go seeking the exotic, to go seeking that which is completely unfamiliar because it does something to us, to be completely out of context. Yeah, but here it's God issuing the order. It's not something that he, Abram feels he has to do. It's, uh, he's, uh, he's commanded to do it. Yeah. Well, it's also the only way the story can go forward is if you crack open and, and make that change. There's no, there's no, you just sit around and you become complacent and you, you just are only familiar with what What's wrong with that, Julie Silver? What's wrong with being complacent and just sitting around? Well, you know, nothing. <laughs> forget, forget I said anything. <laughs> so there seems to be, in the call, there seems to be an understanding that Avram can't do what Avram is destined to do if he gets complacent and if he stays. Everyone else can stay. God doesn't talk to everybody else. Everybody else can stay where they are and have the nice, lovely, carpool driving, coffee drinking, PTA meeting lives that they have. That is not going to be for Avram. Well, it can't be if he's starting a new thing here. He, he, he is king. called to uproot himself from everything that is familiar and ultimately from the house of his father to be independent in that way. And he has to make a choice about whether or not he answers. Just because God says doesn't mean he has to go. Right? Yes, Richard. This is, I think this, we could also look at this as the beginning of a uh, third creation story. Uh, in that um, we have, okay, we have the first creation story. God pretty much creates everything. Then he sees how that's turned out, and he says, okay, I'm going to wipe it all out and start over, and then Noah becomes the seed for the new... Second creation. The second one. Now, God has promised that he's not going to do that anymore if he's unhappy with the way things are turning out. 
So then he says, well, rather than starting over with the whole world, maybe I will create a nation. Okay, I will make of you a great nation. So this is the beginning of a test for Abraham. You know, is he is he going to be worthy? So he's you know he's sent off on this on this um, quest, uh, and if if he he if he proves worthy the great nation that God is promising it turns will turn into what it we know it to be and if for some reason he becomes corrupted along the way and becomes just like everybody else then he'll still probably have great progeny God probably will not deny the you know a great nation just means you're going to have lots of descendants then you know that's how it works out but this but this is actually the beginning of a test so the, so the only place I would tamper with exactly what you just said a little bit is the worthy part. I think God needs Avram to be willing. Mm-hmm. He's already worthy. I, I, if you will do this, then, right? right. And so we have the third beginning, if you want to call it, of our, of our great narrative. And in each... At, at the end of the each one before, there's a covenant. This is the beginning of the covenant between Abraham and Sarai's descendants and God. We got a covenant with all of humanity at the end of Noah. That's important. That's very important because that is still in place. For us as Jews, we believe that covenant is still in place with all of humanity. All of humanity is in relationship to the one creator God. You can't not be, according to us, right? And there's this, there's this other covenant that's made between Avraham and Sarai who are willing to go on this journey and live into the new possibility of a new kind of relationship, a new kind of covenant. And it seems that, uh, that Abraham agrees, right? He, he is willing, he and Sarah, Sarai in this case, set out. All right, so what, let's look exactly at what he's told. And I will make you Lagoy Gadol into a big nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name big, great. Veheye bracha, and you will be a bracha. See, in the in the women's commentary, it says, "And it shall be a blessing." Aha. And when Bert read it, he's mm-hmm. reading out of Plout, right? No, I'm reading uh, the Hertz. Oh, okay. So yeah. So he, you know, you say, "And you sh- and it shall be a blessing," or did you just say you? I said you. Right. I was just kind of noticed that. Because one of them is, you shall be a blessing, or it shall be a blessing. Right. Right. So, right. So let's look. It refers to the name. Yeah, it's the name. It refers to the name. My translation says you. Meaning, that's a big difference. That's a, okay, yeah, right. So different. let's look at that. All right. So, what does the Hebrew say? <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. It, it's if it's imperative, then so it's and be a blessing. There's no, 
There's no goof. There's no, I mean, the form of the verb itself contains it, but it, there's no word for you, right? It's, hey, yeah, be a blessing. Um, all right, so, or is it declarative? And it will be a blessing. Or you will be, right? So, all right, so let's look at this. So, I will make you into a great nation. What's the problem with this? Why is this? Why is there a problem? Well, he's 75. He's a little old. And what is their condition? They are childless. They are, for Aviva Zornberg, this is one of the most important factors in this story. They are childless, barren. So, I will make of you a great nation can sound to someone at an Avraham and Sarai's, Avraham and Sarai's situation a little, <laughs> a little cuckoo, right, Pam, is what I take that gesture to mean. Um, on the one hand, certainly at best, incredulous, like, you know, like, doubtful, like, what, you know, like, really? Really? 75? Really? I mean, imagine the dinner conversation that night. After, right? After this thing. Our, what? Honey? <laughs> or our last great chance. <laughs> or our last great chance. So, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. What do you think bless in this case means? Grant you children. Okay, so maybe grant you a child. Traditionally, this is understood to be, I will Meaning God is saying, I, I promise if you set out, I'll provide for you. Blessing yes, means material wealth. That you'll be okay. Because you're leaving right. everything you know. All of your security. Everything. And I will make your name great. Right? In the ancient Near East, of course, your name is not just your name. It's the essence of who you are. Your name points to something fundamental about who you are in the world. So that is what will be great, grand. Gadol, does that, in, in English when we say great, there's an implication of good. Right. Something that is, that is great is very, very good. That is good, great, gadol means big, big large. It does not mean good. So great is almost a misleading translation here because there's a moral component to great. When it says you're going to be a great nation, at least I understand that in English, there's a moral connotation. So that, supposed to be just going to be a big nation. Th there's the possibility people. of that interpretation in right. English. Yeah, right. I think the intention is to stay with great meaning big. But, but yes, but there's... The Hebrew means big. The Hebrew means big. But the, but the sense of big, when it's applied to a name, means... Okay. Great. Uh, you know, like it, there is, there is a qualitative component as well. Not always with gadol. If you have a disease that's gadol, that's bad. If the tumor is gadol, that's just flat out bad. But if your name is gadol, the implication is, is good. Ruben? My mother ranked doctors that way. How? She said, oh, that's a big doctor. That's a big doctor, right? Because in probably Yiddish, there's some preservation of this idea of if he's a big doctor, that's yeah. big is good. Big is good. 
But she used the term big. Right. That's what I mean. There, there's some there's some Jewish lang linguistic preservation right of this idea that big is good, at least when we're talking about doctors. Not necessarily about like infants' noses, right? Like it's you know, or heads. Okay. So I will make your name we'll stay for now with great. Bracha and something is gonna about you is gonna be a blessing. We're not sure, right, if it's you or your name. What does that mean? Please. That's a hell of a lot of responsibility on that. It's a heck of a lot of pressure. Pressure. What is you, you, or your name will be a blessing? It'll be remembered. It'll be remembered? Is it, if your name is huge, isn't that? Maybe what you... It's about what you've done. What it's you what you've done, yeah. What do you mean? I, think so. I mean the person that you are, but also what you've accomplished. Will be a blessing. What does that mean? We take it for granted. We've heard this story. What does it mean? To be a blessing? Yes. To open yourself up to the world and to help be a help and to tikkun olam and to do good. Is that what it means to be a blessing? To yeah, be a judge. Okay, so Julie Silver says that it means that you are going to be a gift you're gonna, you're gonna to the world. Affect others. You're, you're going affect. to affect and impact others in a way that will be for them a blessing. Okay? Right. It's very interesting what this doesn't say. Which is? Well, it, what it says is, this is the first thing of you will be, that the essence of what we are to be as a Jewish people is a blessing. Ah. Not the strongest, not the richest, not uh, whatever else that could have been. It could have, the first thing could have been, and you will be the strongest and you will kill all your enemies. But it's a mar to me at least, blessing here means, in a sense, godly. And it's part of our call that our whole reason for being. So instead of you will be, it is you should be. Should be, could be, might be. <laughs> but that's our, that, that this is the purpose. Okay? That we are to be a blessing. But it could say, you could, it could also say, you are to be the strongest. Yes. It, it could. could be you are to destroy the weak. It, it, it could say a lot of other things. Correct. Instead, the essence of what we are is to be a blessing, which to me is part of the essence of what it means to be Jewish. But if you're, but it also, if your if your name is a, if your name is a blessing, or is to be a blessing, then presumably that would also be the reason why if 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 someone, you know, long after Abraham's time. Mm -hmm does something that sort of emulates Abraham's traits and somebody praises them for, you know, you're, you're just like Abraham or something like that. That, in a sense, is you're kind of like living up to the ideal. Yeah, but the name here it doesn't mean the actual name. It means the essence. So, gun the gun. It does also mean the actual name. It's saying your name is a blessing. Avram means uh, an exalted father. That exalted father name is going to bless us. It, you know, it's kind of saying that the, this first guy, his name, 
could have been a lot of other names, but that's what his name means. What he, what he is. Av, Father, Ram. Mm -hmm. High, High, lifted, exalted. exalted right. So Avram, you're saying, is, is actually what he becomes is his name. He becomes the term Avram, if you and will. Not just a name, it's a definite, it's a... It's a literal, <laughs> you know, there's so many levels of Hebrew, it, but... It's know, definitive his name of... could have been many things, but it was Avram. That he becomes patriarch. Yeah. Avram, patriarch. We're all blessed because he lived. So he... And that will be a good thing. Okay, so I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you and all of the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. Anybody? Yeah, it really has a, a quality of immortality to it. Um, and uh, you notice that with the use of the word will, it denotes future time. Mm-hmm. And, um... Well, yeah. Yeah. It has to be, right, about what's going to happen if you go. Right. In so, the future. You know, it really... It's not exactly a prophecy, but in a sense it is a prophecy. I think it is. Is this where the notion of chosenness, you've been chosen... Your people. Mm. So certainly Avram is elected by God for this particular mission. And his descendants will be a great nation. Correct. So this is the beginning, certainly, of a special relationship between Avram and Yerevavhe. And and Avram's descendants. Yes. We're we're not getting that language of no, chosen yet but we are certainly getting the idea that foundation. the foundation for it that Avram is picked for this the same way Moshe is going to be picked for Moshe's role in the world but this is yes the first um, of the call that's going to result in a covenant between this is this is the first of the call is to it? to the this is the first of the call that will result in a covenant between Avram and Sarai's descendants and God. And this is why Avram is considered the first Jew. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. If we settled on the definition of blessed, it skipped me somehow. <laughs> Reuben, you missed nothing as usual. <laughs> you have missed it. nothing. Would you like to go there? <laughs> When you bless your child, what, 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 what are you doing? What is, what is the consequence? What, what is it? Good question. Ruben brings us to a very interesting question. What is Baruch? What is Baruch? What is, Baruch? What, is, what, is, what is this blessing business anyway? There are two words. Blessed is one and the other is redeemed. And that have always bothered me. I just can't get my arms around those. You can't get your arms around bless and redeem. All right. When we get to Exodus, we'll deal with redeem. Um, what? Bless. What is it? I think it may be too big to get your arms around at any one time. And maybe depending on the context, 
are you blessing God or are you blessing your child? It could mean different things. But some of them are kind of connected. I think if you bless your child, you're trying to invoke protection. You're giving them love. You're sort of trying to cover them in a, in a, a bubble of all good and send them out to do all good in the world. So how come we can't just want and wish that? What do we need? Action. This ah. So what is what is invoking? What is that? What is that? Maybe blessing is just a sacred wanting and wishing. Ah, wanting and wishing in a sacred context might be bracha, blessing. Julie suggests there has to be action associated with bracha. What is the action? words, the permission, the, the uh, what, what, what you were saying is, is sort of this, uh, to, to actually uh, publicly show it and to, to, to be uh, visibly uh, in, in the act of blessing or receiving blessing to show the world. That this Gotta is, hear it. So if I'm, al- if I'm alone in my living room with my child, it, it doesn't count? No, it is. It's an action between two. Ah, so I only need one witness. Yeah. Okay, but it has to be outside of me. I don't know what it has to be, but I think it takes an act. It takes some kind of an action, whether it's a mental action or a physical action. So there has to be. It sounds to me, if we're going to go down to the brass tacks of it, because you just said something other than external, it can be an internal action. So it sounds to me like it involves intention. There is an intention with bracha that is meant to shift something. There is a a wishing that is not passive. There is a sense with bracha, I I think, of shift, of there's a change that we're wanting to invoke by our intention, by our intentional act or concentrated wish, right, that, that there is, there is, there's kavana, there is intention involved in bracha that is different from we all want always the best for our children. We want them to be safe, we want them to be happy, we want them to be wealthy, we want them to be all those things all the time. There's a difference in bracha, I think, around the intention of it in that moment. All right, I saw a hand. There was such a, an effect on, you know, when I was being blessed, you know, like, wow. <laughs> you know, that doesn't happen very often. So it's effective in shifting something, isn't it? When we are the recipients of bracha, there's a shift that happens that, that we believe is in some sense different than if we didn't do that. Action. Yeah, like a, well, if we make a if we if we make a, a bracha, the in, the intention is to sanctify whatever it is is being blessed. If we say you know because you go out to dinner and you have wine with your dinner, you're not necessarily going to say a bracha over the the wine at dinner if you're going out. But you you might. But but when we say a bracha 
during the liturgy that this is, you know, it's wine, yes, but this is wine that is that we're somehow sanctifying and sort of like putting it into the context of, you know, this is some of, you know, we recognize that, you know, that this is the product of God's creation. and The know, wine is already sanctified. You mean simply by being Simply used, by existing. Who are we sanctifying? So when we say a bracha over food, we are blessing Creator. God. The creation is already sacred. Right. What we're doing is we're blessing God. Baruch atah. Blessed are you. We never, this is one of my pet peeves. Mm. We people say we're going to, you know, we're going to bless the challah. You don't bless the challah. You bless God who's in partnership with us so that we can make challah because we got wheat, right? So, um, but we're, that's already sacred. The, uh, I believe it says in the Talmud, or at least traditionally, that you have to be able to hear the words of blessing. You can't just In order think for them right. to count. You can't just think them. In order for you right. to be Yodse, in right. order for you to perform the mitzvah. Right. So what happens when we recite a bracha over wine Among or bread things, or food? We hear it. We hear it. So, what is it, it so why do we do it? What, what does it do? We're if the wine is already... We're sanctifying God. And we're recognizing that there's someone beyond us that created us. Aha. So by hearing it, by saying it, by doing that before we eat, before we drink, we are acknowledging out loud our participation in the increased sanctification, blessedness of God. So we are in, a, in effect saying, I understand that I am participating in a sacred action because I have now put my intention there by saying a bracha before I consume. I'm participating in, in, in increasing my awareness that I am part of something much larger than me that results in me having this on my table. Now, by saying a bracha to do that, I want to suggest it's a little cheeky to say, I'm going to increase God's blessedness. Blessed are you. Who am I? Blessed are you to bless God, if you really think about it, right? Well, that's a little cheeky. Well, we say in, the, we say in, uh, in Kaddish that, that God is beyond so what that's a little crazy you're beyond this but I'm gonna bless you anyway I don't think it's cheeky no I think, I think like, yeah, I've been reading about this idea called the imposter syndrome yes where you don't think you're good enough and you know to give a speech on something that everybody else would think you're an expert mm -hmm. on but uh, many people feel oh no I'm just you know little old me well so maybe cheekiness comes out of that imposter syndrome that we humans aren't good enough to make a blessing when really we are because if you're going that way God made us so we're fantastic to bless God. <clears throat> so somehow saying a bracha, the act of blessing God reminds us that we ourselves are blessed. Yeah. 
elevates us. It elevates us. Lovely, Jackie. It elevates or empowers. And whoever's giving the blessing. I mean, not just who they are right. receiving the blessing. And the giver. In this case, that's my point. It's God who's receiving the blessing when we say, Baruch Adonai. Mm-hmm. We're elevating God? That's kind of, think about that. We don't think about that. That's, a, that's intense. We're, we somehow are Lifting up God. That's that's amazing. Uh, the, the, the concept of a shifting, I have a problem with that too, because the shifting implies that it's here and now it's going to be right there. And I think there's just an adding to everything. I don't think it's a matter of shifting from you to your child. Right, so I'm not I'm not thinking place when I say shift. I say I'm thinking state. The, we hope to change in some way, increase the state of blessing of our children when we bless. I, at least that's my intention when I bless my daughter. She's already blessed, of course. But when I lay my hands on her head on Friday night and make that bracha, I want, I'm intending a shift. Maybe just a shift in the awareness? In intensity, a shift in intensity and awareness, right? I'm not sure what that shift is, but but I know that I'm intending something. But it also takes us out of the mundane. Right, it makes it sacred. And it's, uh, in Maybe way. that's the shift, right? That we're right. That's about awareness and and that that we leave the mundane in a way when we increase our awareness of the sanctity of all things, even the sanctity of our longing for our children or whoever we're blessing, right? I think about this when I make a mishaberach at the hospital bedside, right? I intend something when I make that bracha in the hospital. This has been a very rich uh, polylog. <laughs> polylog. A polylog. I love that. It's not over yet. And it ain't over yet. So. Did we answer your question, Ruben? But as I said, it's been very rich, but at the same time, it's more confusing than ever. And I suspect it's because it has many meanings. Yes. In in the case of Isaac, uh, blessing. Esau, uh-huh. or rather uh, Jacob when he met he, he was exercising an authority of some kind. Yes. So the blesser apparently has some uh, okay. And what is it that uh, the that both Jacob and Esau uh, felt was so important about receiving this blessing? Why does right. why, why does the king yes. in Europe need the Pope to place the crown on his head? It advances the cause. It, 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 it advances. It, it, it. Rabbi, he has the blessing the of <laughs> just in case. Ruby, you just made my week. Just, um, so, just in case. <laughs> so you asked the questions, yeah. So, um, but it was very Jewish to answer that your question with a question, right? So what? So because there is, 
In that case, in, in Isaac blessing Yaakov instead of Esau, in that instance, it is the Pope placing the crown on the head of the king. There is something the Pope has as representative of the church that invests the king with authority. What that is, that's a whole nother conversation. That is what Isaac is doing. He is investing whoever receives that blessing with as the personification of the tribe, of the clan, of being the patriarch, he now invests whoever receives that blessing with that authority. But what is that blessing that makes it so uh, uh, a matter of life and death, whether you, whether you receive it or if it's stolen from you? What is this? It's to become the leader of the clan. He is in that case. Yeah, in that case, he is. That's what I'm saying. In that case, it's bestowing. An authority that cannot be taken back. There's so much meaning. You've sworn in this person as the next patriarch, and you cannot undo it. It's the equivalent of transferring a signet ring so, or something. It's like even if there were no yeah. blessing. Right. I'm it's done. It's now done. It's, it's impacted and changed reality in a way that cannot be undone. But I want to go back to what you said about it can't be like you're more confused than ever. And you said probably because there's so many ways to understand it. I want to say yes, and because whenever we're talking about this stuff, Torah, wisdom, truth, spirituality, God, language is not a great instrument. We are so used to like unpacking language so that we can analyze and break things apart and and see them differently or understand them differently. Language is a very poor tool when you're talking about the ineffable. When you're talking about a shift, is it a shift really? Is it not a shift? I don't know. Language is not great. When I place my hands on my child's head, language is not a great way for me to explore what's happening in that moment, right? That there are some things that we experience that you cannot, you, this is the realm that we can't put into words, and that's why religion gets such a bum rap, I think, because way too often we reduce it to language when language is not at all sufficient. So actually, I think what you're saying is that there is both a conscious and an unconscious um, mechanism which you give to your daughter and in a sense, or hope to give to your daughter by the placing of your hand, and the sense that she gets it from you. It's a reciprocal kind of a thing. Um, and I think there's also a sense of historical lineage that goes back, that goes along with your blessing your daughter, God's saying he's giving the blessing, a blessing to Avram, and there's that memory of you're Jewish, and it goes all the way back. So sometimes, yes, sometimes it's a Jewish action. Sometimes, do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's not. Like sometimes... It's human. It's just the human... You just want... Exactly, because it's not always... Jewish language I'm using. Helen Keller was quoted many times for saying there are things that the eyes cannot see and things that the ears cannot hear that only the heart can experience. 
experience. Exactly. That's exactly. You have to be blind and deaf to really understand that. And I think we are blind and deaf, you know, in that in that sense, because because those those senses won't help. help you, right? When we say the Shema, we cover our eyes. Yes. Even a blind man knows when the sun is shining. Even a blind oh, man knows. There you go. So leave it to Julie Silver to find the right lyric to get us through that. Um, Thank you. But I really. <laughs> Um, but I want to honor the fact that we spend a lot of time, particularly as Jews, talking. Um, about, but when we're in this realm, I, I, I just think we need to always remember that it's not language that's the most accurate measure, if you will, of, of what we're talking about. It, it's what we feel. Yeah, but we, we, we communicate it with our language. Um, so we try. We try, and what I'm suggesting is there's something else that happens that is beyond language, and and that and that's for me a good thing because it's that big, right? It's that profound that it is beyond language. You can't, you can't. I mean, like Harold Kushner, you know, when his daughter he was having a conversation with his child about God. And, you know, you can't see God or touch God or feel God. You know, so Harold Kushner said, touch my love. Right? Because there are some things that you can only experience. Yes? All right, if people are getting up, it means I'm coming to the end of my time. Yep. So, but I want to make sure we look at a couple of these thoughts together. Notice we have not gotten past verse 3. Manishtana. Manishtana, says Reuben. Um, Right. Exactly. All right. So let's look. I put together um, in these sheets. <clears throat> I, put, I cut and pasted from uh, different sources um, for you. I've preserved the name of the teachers. That's that's our tradition. Otherwise, it's stealing. We proceeded as a tradition. Copyright laws. Where's the... An intellectual property? Is this, is That's Aviva Zorenberg. You have... The one that looks like this is Aviva Zorenberg from her book, The Beginnings of Desire, which you must own if you want to truly study. Appreciate it. It is just fantastic. So let's... Let's... Go to Rabbi Neil Fleischman. Looks like this. Fourth sentence down towards the end of the sentence. Abram, yes. Abram cannot go back to Orkastim, but neither does he know of any reason to go forward. What is this referencing? This is referencing the fact that Avram did not begin the journey. 
We usually think of Avram beginning the journey. It was Terach, his father, who left Ur. Avram's father left Ur of the Chaldees. That's where the family is from. Then on the way, for some reason, they settle in Haran. We don't know why. All we know is that they stop and they settle and then Terach dies. Then Avram gets the call to go forth. So this, so Rabbi Neil Fleischman is saying, so Avram has two choices once Terach dies. Either go back to Ur, right? Or stay where you are. He doesn't seem to have any reason to go forward until this call, right? Where Noah is designed, Avram is destined. God takes note of the particular human feature of free choice, and God takes a chance. Lech lecha, God exhorts Abram. You there, get up and go. This is the voice of a parent tossing the young out of the nest. So God is offering, right, with with. Noach, it's like, you're, you're, go build a boat and then get in the boat and this is what's going to happen and I'm bringing the flood and, right? Now, God is like allowing Avram to choose to go or not to go. But in, but it is this sense of if Avram responds, then it's a shove out of, out of the nest, out of everything familiar, drop down to below and Avram heard the call. Yet before Avram came his father Terach. Terach, in fact, is the one who first heard the call, or at least behaved outwardly as though he did, for it is Terach who went forth. So, drop down. You are not like Noach, says God. Noach only walked only by means of God's support. This is the plain meaning of the words that describe him. And we talked about this last week. Eta Elohim hitalech Noach, right? That Noach walked with God. Me, in this case, the interpretation is walking by means of God. Now God commands Avraham, hitalech lefanai tamim, walk before me. The same words, but with an entirely new meaning. You must walk by yourself, God is saying, for I must hide a little bit. In order for there to be a relationship, you have to learn to trust me. And I, says God, must learn to trust you. The best. The best. <laughs> right? So what has intervened, asks our commentator, lech lecha. It is you who must take responsibility for becoming whole, for becoming righteous, for making yourself holy. Right? It is each of us who must take responsibility. Are we capable of making things other than as they are? To do that, we have to be willing to set forth. All right. Let's look down at Aaron Howard, who says, who quotes Aviva Zornberg. Zornberg points out that Rashi translates the lecha. Here's our problem, right, that we put on the board. Lecha and lech lecha as for your benefit. So lech lecha, meaning set out, go, lecha, for you. Not to you, but for you. This is a journey 
for you, for your benefit. Right? By taking this journey, and only by taking this journey, will Abraham arrive at his destination where he will meet his destiny of blessing. He cannot live into that destiny unless he sets forth, unless he sets out to meet that destiny that's going to be a blessing. He doesn't have a destination. Who travels without knowing where you're going? Asks our commentator. This command to go forth can be understood as go forth and experience lostness. Jackie? I just want to say that this echoes something I'm so conscious of in life, which is like it happens to Abraham and Noah when they're both in a vulnerable place. And I just, you know, and I just feel like that's when people make radical change, when they're just at a low point or... When they are lost. Lost. Yeah, when they are like disconnected from everything that keeps us in our habitual, root, routinized, unconscious self or way of being in the world. Yes? So lostness then seems to be a precondition for some things. Not for everything, but for some things. And it seems... Because we get your house, your country, your parents' house, right? It's clear that that is a prerequisite for what's going to happen to Avraham. What can happen to Avraham. Zorenberg also suggests another possibility. The Zohar, she says, offers a different translation of Lech Lecha. And what is that? Go forth in order to transform yourself, to create yourself. Or put another way, travel to yourself, not your present self, but the self that you aspire to. Set forth, set out to an unknown self. So, Laura, on TED Talks, I was watching something about the impo- this imposter syndrome business that you were talking about. And it was like, fake it till you become it. That we always say fake it till you make it, but she's saying fake it till you become it. That that we have to behave as if you have to believe on before we can become something else. We have to act like it until we become it. And it seems that that's what Zornberg is quoting the Zohar as intending here. That go to yourself means go towards the self that doesn't exist yet. The self that's becoming only if you move, only if you get up and experience that disconnection, that dislocation, that unknown. He doesn't know where he's going, right? That's important because when we set out, we think we know where we're going, But of course, we can't know where we're going to ultimately wind up because we're not that self yet. Right? It's so hard for for us to, without physically leaving, without dropping anything behind, to do that. And I think about, very few of us have the opportunity to drop everything behind and leave. And without doing that, what are the ways 
that you can take yourself out of those routines. I mean, it's really, it's having done that a little bit in a very small way, um, it's, it's really hard to think, how, how, how are we supposed to think about ways to leave behind stuff that you know without actually physically doing that? Right. In so, any Laura, small way, in, in small ways, you know, and also by, by listening to other people's stories about doing that. I mean, every mm -hmm. act can be an opening, a, a, a transformation. I mean, if you really want to get, I mean, I, I, think, I think you can't drop everything and leave your, I can't drop everything and leave and become a, you know, go to... Be Paul. Catman do. I can't do that, but I can form a new relationship or I can begin a, a course of study, or I can learn something. In all of these things, I think we find that getting out of your comfort, getting out of what you know. You I can just, I just blogged it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you can decide you to become a writer, Laura. Mm -hmm. You can decide, I'm now gonna really see myself as a writer. And I'm gonna inhabit that path. You don't have to leave your house to do that, right? But you have to leave a room in here. You have to, you have to leave a definition of who you are to become that writer that you don't even know yet. You don't know her yet. You know some of her, right? But you have no idea who that author is until you truly become her. Did you want to say something, Susan? Oh, just resonating. <laughs> You're just resonating. Love that. Um, so I'm not going to, we don't have time to go through um, the rest of this text, but I do want to lift up the thought of the Ishbitzer Rebbe on the next page, which is Lecha, according to the Ishbitzer, is that, that Avram has to move, this goes to what you were saying, Laura, in the direction of who he's meant to be, not who he settles for, right? That, that Lech Lecha is about move in the direction of who you're really meant to be in the world, not just who we wind up being, and for for Rabbi Shimshon Raphael Hirsch, that is a call that means we have to do it lecha, singular as someone pointed out, by ourselves. It's not that we can't be accompanied. He takes Sarah with him. It's that it's something only we can do by ourselves for ourselves. There is an existential aloneness that every human being has. And if you've been at the deathbed, you know this. If you've been at a birth or at the deathbed, there is an existential aloneness for each one of us. And it seems that it is that that is required to be pulled into play for these kinds of changes. And they don't have to be radical, but their result is radical in that it reorients us towards who we are meant to be. 
You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.